it uh, again we'll we covered we read the entire thing and last week we studied about the purpose of parables or we answered the question why parables and so today we're going to discuss uh, this parable we're going to read Matthew 13 1 through 9 and then we're going to skip down to Jesus's explanation in verses uh, 18 through 23 uh, before we get started you know it's uh, this past week we noticed, uh, or we noted, that our beloved teacher R.C. Sproul died Thursday. Um, I, 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 was, I, I think maybe about Monday. I was aware he was in the hospital with some serious difficulties, you know, and so I just started uh, kind of trying to follow that. And uh, Thursday, of course, he went home to be with the Lord about three o'clock in the afternoon around his family. And in uh, God's providence, on Friday. If you guys are regular listeners of Renewing Your Mind podcast, the episode, which was recorded and planned months before, was titled The Believer's Final Rest. (laughs) And to listen on Friday morning, Dr. Sproul will talk about heaven. It gave me chills. Because only in God's providence can something like that happen. God is sovereign, He is in control. And um, I, I get, I'm getting chill bumps now just thinking about it because I, I listen to it. It's a wonderful message. And in the message, you hear Dr. Sproul saying, the wonderful promise of heaven, heaven is that we will see Him as He is. And the only thing I could do was rejoice. He, he, he's there. As I'm listening to Him preach, He's there. He met Jesus yesterday. And truly, and just an amazing testimony of His life and and you know, for I know a lot of you read him a lot and have read him, um, and so you feel like you know him. I mean, you know, the the the, uh, the context or the the foundation for our whole study of Matthew is his commentary. So I read Sproul every week, and it feels like you're you know he's preaching to you every week. That's what it feels like. And so to lose him. You just feel like you know it. You lost a friend, even though I met him one time. I think I met him at a at, a, at one of the Ligonier conferences. You know, he was always gracious. He was always a gracious host. He and Vesta always walked around and, and visited and, and spoke to people. Uh, as busy as he was, he was always gracious, and uh, I appreciated that. And very approachable, and just a, a a giant in the faith, a lion as he's been described. So we just rejoice with that family at his home going. So let's uh, read again Matthew 13, uh, uh, 1 through 9, then 18 through 23. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And the great multitudes were gathered together uh, to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now over to 18 through 23. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches it away. That was sown in his heart. 
That This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But when he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the world, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. Father, today give us understanding, Father, as we uh, seek to understand the wisdom in your word. Father, we offer a prayer on behalf of the life of R.C. Sproul. Father, we thank you for taking him home to be with you. Father, we rejoice together with him today. Father, because today he is truly in a worship service. Father, we know that today, because it is the Lord's day, we do gather together with him. He is before the throne room and he sees you as you are. Father, we only see uh, a glimpse of you. Father, we pray that you will just that you will just give us a clear understanding of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this parable describes four responses to the Word of God. Only one of which is a positive response. Now the sower of the parable, in this case, represents Christ Himself. And the seed that he refers to is the gospel message, the message of the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you think about, uh, in this case, Jesus referring to himself as the sower, Jesus was the greatest preacher who ever lived. And we, we believe that, we know that. And we know that even his preaching was rejected by some. The greatest preacher who ever lived and whoever will live, his preaching was still rejected. The, that should remind us something today for those who preach and teach that the power of preaching is not in the preacher. The power of preaching is in the Spirit of God alone. The Holy Spirit does the work. He does the real work. And we're going to talk more about that during this lesson. The parable that Jesus offers uses an agricultural illustration or context. And that is helpful since this is an agricultural economy. So this is easily understood by the hearers as far as what... In other words, the, the example he's using. It's easy to, 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 I guess, to relate. And so the agricultural economy, which I know is difficult for us today because we've moved so far from that. We are so far removed from uh, an agricultural economy, economy um, and there's a lot of problems with that, but that's a discussion for another day. So in verse 3, uh, the second half, it says, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Now notice Jesus doesn't say anything about preparing the field beforehand. He just simply says, A sower went out to sow. Now, at this time, in this context, this was normal. Because when planters plant, they did not prepare the ground first or till the ground. They scattered the seed first and then tilled it later. 
So the parable describes these four places that the seed falls. And that's it uses the land and he uses the ground as to describe that. Now, modern farmers, you know, would go prepare the land first so that the seed goes in the right place. And that's where we, you know, we would find a little bit of difficulty applying a modern day context to this. But so it's important to understand that, that they didn't do it that way. So the four places that the seed fell represent four types of people, more specifically their hearts. So let's look at the first place that the seed falls. Seed on the wayside. That's the first one. What we'll do here is we cover these four different areas. We're going to, we're going to use the uh, verse from the parable, and then we're going to use Jesus' explanation of that verse. So we'll, in this, for seed of the wayside, we're going to read verse 4 and then verse 19. So verse 4 says, And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. So the wayside, what is he talking about? The first, that what he's saying is these seeds, the message of the gospel, fought, fell on dirt that was so packed down and hard. Think of just a, a walkway that is so packed down. It's, it's you know, something you tread upon every day. It's almost like a sidewalk. They didn't, they obviously didn't have concrete sidewalks, but just imagine it's almost the same thing. Dirt packed as hard as concrete. Okay, so the seed was, was broadcast across this wayside. And of course, the seed didn't do anything there, but just sit there on top. Just sat there. It didn't even do anything. It didn't penetrate the ground. It's so packed, so hard. So the result is the birds came, took it away. It's food for the birds, right? So it's easy to spot. They came, they took it, it's gone. So in verse 19, Jesus explains, he says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what is sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. So this first group of people, this first group of people is those are those with extremely hard hearts. Just like the wayside, packed down hard. You can't penetrate it. You can't water it. You can't sow anything in it. It's just so hard. It's like trying to sow seed in concrete. It's so hard. And we should think about men's hearts. And the people with hard hearts, they refuse to hear the Word of God. They absolutely refuse it. They don't even entertain it. They are so hard. So when the gospel message comes upon their ears, it just bounces off. It never gets anywhere. It just bounces off like the hard ground. They, they dismiss it without even giving it a thought. They don't even entertain it. Not for a moment. And you know, for us, uh, we talked about regeneration and election last week. That's easy to understand because that is the natural state of man. That is the natural state of all of us before God didn't work. Our hearts were very hard to the things of God. They didn't hear the things of God. They bounced right off of us. Seed on the stony places. Verse 5 and 6, he says, some, some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched and because they had no root, they were withered away. 
So we see the imagery here. It says it fell among rocks. What it means, what he's talking about here, is the ground actually looked okay. You think about the ground for a minute. You see a thin layer of dirt, but underneath that thin layer of dirt is rocks. Because you got in, in, in the context of the parable, that's what you got to think about. So very that's that explains why the seed sprang up quickly. Because it's got a very it looks okay. You see a thin layer of dirt. So I throw a seed there, it springs up really quick. But underneath it was rock. So as soon as the seed sprang up, what does the seed try to do? It tries to establish a root system, doesn't it? <coughs> but because right underneath the surface is nothing but rock, the roots cannot be established. So a plant with no root, when the sun comes up and scorches it, it quickly withers away and dies. Very quickly. The root is the source of life, isn't it? The root of the plant. So that's the way it gets its nourishment, its water. And so when the sun says the sun came up, immediately scorched it, it's gone. It's, it's done. It looked really good for a minute. It looked really good. But it didn't last. So Jesus explains in verse 20 through 21, He says, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now when you think about this type of soil, or this type of heart, or this type of person, you've all met somebody like this who's in this category. These are the folks who make a profession of faith, um, possibly based on some emotional event, some uh, something that happened that was kind of out of the normal. Um, and so they say the right things. And they, they express joy. And they're just like this seed uh, on the dirt with, with rocks underneath. They spring up really quick. And you go, wow, look at that. That's great. That's the response I was looking for. But then when they are faced with the implications of that profession of faith, they quit. The moment they realize it's going to be difficult, they're done. They're quit. They're out. So they, they didn't count the cost of what they were saying about this profession of faith. So, you know, if you think about it, if, if, if you're there, if you know somebody's there, kind of the thought process is, oh, okay, well, you mean i got to change now? i got to change my ways? Well, I don't want to do that. So forget that. You know, I'm not going to do that. We walk away really quick. That can be disheartening. It can be discouraging sometimes. Because we rejoice at professions of faith. We see it. We see it happen, especially a lot of times this, this kind of thing. you got to think about these emotional kind of things. That's what you got to think about. Okay, maybe um, a big conference or something where it, maybe the, the speaker is, is really pulling at heartstrings and all of a sudden somebody just reacts and makes a profession of faith and is all excited. But the next day or the next week, they just leave. They quit. The reality is in that case, that person is never really saved. Now, one thing to take away from this is that no one is saved by a profession of faith. 
That's the takeaway from this thing. Nobody is saved by a profession of faith. Well, you know, he said the sinner's prayer, so he's saved. So I feel okay about it. It's not good enough. You know, he went down after the altar call and before everybody, so he's saved. Not necessarily. Because this parable is talking about those kind of people. It's, it's merely external. Think of the soil. Think of the think of what Jesus just said about it looks good on the surface, but underneath it's rocks. It's hard as a rock. It doesn't penetrate. There's no root. It didn't pierce the soul. So then, the seed among thorns. Verse 7, it says, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Hmm. So here again, a, very, a similar situation. The ground uh, looked, you know, the, the ground was able to produce, to make the seed germinate, to produ- start to produce something. But then what's all around it? Thorns. And if you've been in a pasture uh, with thorns, you know how much we hate thorns. Because they, what happens with the, the thorns is they grow up and they overshadow the good plant. And then the good plant can't get sunshine. It can't grow. It chokes it out. It just starves it out. So Jesus explained in verse 22, He says, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. And Jesus offers some good um, descriptors here and what these thorns look like. What is he talking about when he talks about thorns? Surely we understand the agricultural illustration. We know, we've seen it. If you haven't, come to my fields, you'll see thorns. Okay, you'll know how much I can't stand them. Uh, anybody who farms, you know that you don't like those things. So Jesus explains what these thorns are. And really... This category of people who are very similar to the category before, they they end up in the long run loving the world more than they love Jesus. It says, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about Riches and wait a minute. It says Jesus is saying that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness. What does he mean when he says deceitfulness? Well, what do riches promise to us today? If you haven't struggled with this, you're lying. Okay, every one of us has struggled with the deceitfulness of riches. Riches, more money. What do they promise? Happiness. They promise security, don't they? More and more wealth. I just, man, if, if I can make a six-figure salary, I'll be fine. I'll be taken care of, right? I can do that. If I can just, some of you got, you know, won't do more, right? Some, I know I've been there. They also promise what? Fulfillment, don't they? They promise joy. Oh, you'll be, you, you'll experience, you won't have to worry about a thing. You won't have to work hard anymore. You, 
if you haven't thought this in your head, because a lot of you in this room have been walking with the Lord a whole lot longer than me. And I know I've thought it many times. Many, many times. Because I think, if I just make a little bit more money, I can get a little bit more stuff. I can be a little bit more happy. Well, those things, why, why riches are deceitful? Because they promise that, but they absolutely never deliver it. Only a relationship with God can provide those things. Not one pay raise, not one job promotion, not any of those things can provide fulfillment, happiness, and security, and joy. Not one of those. They can't do it. Riches cannot do it. There's a quote by Chesterton. It says, you know, there's two ways to get enough. It says, one is you just you keep getting more, accumulating more and more stuff. The other way is to desire less. Very wise statement. To desire less. Well, the deceitfulness of riches promise all those things and they leave us. Even actually, it's funny, you know, when we find ourselves pursuing those things for those things' sake, we become even more empty than when we started. Don't we? We do. It happens. If you, I know I've seen it in my own life. I know you have in yours. Now you can probably think of examples of this type of person. Maybe you know somebody like this. Um, I know we've had uh, opportunities to have people among our midst because our congregation is a welcoming and loving congregation. And we've had people who come in out of the world who are beat up. And they come here and they're with us for a while and then they quit. They're gone. Because of what? The cares of the world. The lies of the world. Think of those struggling with addiction. We've seen some of that in our own community. Folks that have come out of that and come to a safe place, which this is a safe place, right? It's supposed to be. And they were with us for a while. But what happened when the cares... And it looked really promising. It looks like this kind of soil here, right? That's what we see. But then what happens with the cares of the world? It drags them back in. And it gets them out. And they back into the old ways. And they're gone. They quit. Forget about this. I don't need this. I'm going to have fun over here. I'm going to enjoy my addiction. We've seen it. This is real. We've seen this. Now this person... For the, obviously, for those who are still alive, they there's still hope. I mean, this person, we don't write these people off. There's still hope. Now, for those who have gone on and they, they came here and, and they left and they did stay and they died, they probably died in their trespasses and sins. But the reality of this group of people is that they were probably never converted in the first place. If this is where they stay, okay, this is... There's hope, but I'm just saying, if this is where they stay, if they come here and they look, but then they're back gone, chances are they were never converted in the first place. In other words, they never were really with us. And that's really a sad thing, isn't it? That's, that, that is truly a sad situation. Our hearts should break for those people because they've kind of gotten a taste, but then they let the world, the cares of the world. Come in. Uh, Dr. Sproul commented here on this section. He says, It is possible to be converted to a movement and miss the very object of faith. 
Let me read that again. It says, it's possible about this, about this group that the people who were here and, and then, you know, for a time and they're gone, it says it's possible to be converted to a movement and miss the very object of faith. What, or should I say, who is the object of faith? Christ. What he's saying here is that they could really like a program. They could like a certain methodology. They could really love your super seniors program. They could really love your youth program at night and never be saved. They could be faithful members of that. Well, I really love this, or I really love this program, or this. And they could be faithful attendees and never be saved. Because why? They were in love with a program or a movement. And they were never in love with Christ. That is why it is so important to preach Christ. And everything that we do, not we don't preach programs. We don't even preach. Well, you know, you know how a lot, a lot of us when 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 we see people who were with us, and maybe they're gone out, and when we go, we run into the street. You know, you really need to be back in church. That's what we say a lot of times. But you know, that really doesn't help anything. Now it's true that they need to be back in church, but to the one who has left, just sitting there telling them you need to be back in church, what does that do to their hard heart? It makes it harder. Because it's not even about just being in this church. It's about Christ. You see, we have to connect with Christ. We, um, we always must be pointing people to Christ. I don't point them to my church. It'll come. If you point them to Christ, they'll be in the church. If you are Christ to them, then they'll be in the church. They'll come. They might not come to your church, but they'll come to another one. Because Christ will change them. Now, the seed on the good ground. It says, But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. <coughs> he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then Jesus' explanation in verse 23. It says, But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. Now, if you're like me, the first thing you'd be tempted to do because you're in the good ground, so you'll think you're a good person. That's why I understood the seed. Well, we established last week that there are no good people. Another error is to assume that those of us who are believers, because this this the good ground would represent you know somebody who hears and believes and is and is and is changed. Another error is to assume that those are the only ones smart enough to understand the word. This is also an error. This is a lie. The Bible tells us in Ephesians two one that we are dead in our trespasses. And sins. And by dead, you need to think back to the Garden of Eden when God said, In the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. How did they die? Physically? No, spiritually. So when we say dead, every one of us in our natural state is spiritually dead. 
you are completely oblivious to the things of God. You cannot understand them. You may hear them with your ears, but you, they don't ever pierce your heart. They never sink in. Dead people cannot do anything, much less do any good thing. So, if you're tempted, when you hear about this good ground, oh, I was good ground. And you're tempted to, hey, look at me. You know, God, I understood because I was good enough to understand it. Forget it. Reject that lie. It's a lie of the Satan. Okay? It's a lie of the evil one. He is the deceiver. When Jesus talks about the fruit bearing he under, the person who hears it, they understand it and they indeed bear fruit and produce. Jesus hinting here at sanctification. He also hints that there are varying degrees of sanctification because he talks of that different um, yields of the crop. He says what? Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. All of them yield. Uh, all of them are believers. Okay, all of them yield a fruit uh, of, the, of the crop. But they are a little different, aren't they? Some yield more. And so, sanctification is a joint venture. That is a work, after you are saved, that you get to participate in along with God Himself. As He's working in your life to change you. In order, he's, he, is, he has caused you to be able to hear and understand it, and then He is bringing the increase. Some 100-fold, some 60, and some 30. But that's sanctification piece. We're going to talk some more about it in a minute. That sanctification piece is a joint venture. you got work to do. That's what, that's what you should take away. Now, we're, lurk, we're working along with Him, with God, with the Holy Spirit. As we have last week, because we introduced and when Jesus explained why he used parables, we talked a lot about election, didn't we? In this piece of the parable, Jesus is hinting at sanctification. And these are theological terms, but they are important terms. What, what we should be seeing through this discussion is something is emerging. Okay, and what is emerging is the order of salvation. It's what you should be seeing that Jesus is teaching here. He is revealing there is an order of things. God is a God of order, and there is an order of things. Paul sums up this order over in Romans 8, 28 through 30. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he justified. Those whom he justified, these he also glorified. Do you see an order here that Paul is telling us? He's describing there is an order of things. When it comes to salvation... There is an order. Now, we can't look at this order in a temporal manner. In other words, in, in, in terms of time. Okay, because you can't do it. It doesn't work that way. 
This is, you got to look at it more of a logical order. Okay, this must happen before this. Logically. That's the way you have to think. Don't think about time. Don't think about when. Okay, don't really think about that because that'll get you kind of off. That'll get you in a different... Some of these things happen right on top of each other. So it's difficult to think about it in terms of time. The reality is they do happen in time because they are experienced. But when you think about the logical order, because remember, God doesn't see time like we see it. He sees everything. That's where we get in trouble when we start putting a timeline to this. But so think of it in a logical order of things. And what is that order? What is the order of salvation? First, it's election. We talked about it last week. When did that happen? Before the foundation of the world. That happened. We were elect in Christ for anything is that is. Those He elected, He predestined. Those He predestined, those He regenerated. We talked about regeneration last week. Those He regenerated have faith. Those who have faith are justified. Those who are justified are then sanctified. Those who are sanctified are glorified. Now glorification is what we were celebrating with Dr. Sproul, right? He's there. He's, he's there. He's not, not full. He's in the, he doesn't have his glorified body yet. But, but He's there. When you think about every different piece of this, election again happened before the foundation of the world, before anything. All this was, was done in Christ. But it works out in your life, in time. What is... Regeneration. We talked about it last week. Regeneration is the moment when God changes the disposition of a person's heart and they can immediately experience spiritual life for the first time. That is the seed on the good ground. Somebody who has been regenerated. They have Their heart has been changed. And that is a work of God. Remember, as we said, it's, it's not because we're good people. That's not it. That is a work of God and it's His sovereign choice and it's not based on anything that you and I have ever done. Notice notice in Romans when Paul um, lists out this order of salvation. You start at the beginning. It says those whom He predestined, those He called, those He called, those he justified, those he justified, those he also glorified. How many were lost in that process? Not one. Not one was lost. Everyone who was elect, who was predestined, is also glorified. Because it is God who has ordained it. This is not an ordination of man. This is an ordination of God. I want you to reread. I'll read it for you unless you turn there. Verse 28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Where's the first place we go when we read that verse? Well, it's, it's comforting, isn't it? If you're a believer today, because it says everything works out for my good. 
if I love God. And a lot of times we just stay there. We just say, we make this verse about us. Everything that happens to me is good to me. It's good for me. And that's true in a sense. But see, we make it about us though. Well, okay, all these tough things, well, I'm going to get a, I'm going to have a good life and it's going to work out really good for me in the here and now. And we can make this verse about us. We can make it about our own comfort. We can make it about our own convenience. But what does he say? He says, they work out together for good to those who are called according to whose purpose? His purpose. It is about His purpose and not yours and not mine. What is my greatest need as a believer? What is your greatest need as a believer? You and I need to be made like Christ. That is His purpose in saving you. It is not so you have a comfortable life. Was Jesus' life comfortable? Jesus didn't even have a place to lay His head at night. God's saying, I'm making you like Him. Now what are all the things you struggle with? You worry about having a nice place to lay your head at night, don't you? You worry about those things. And you make it about you and your comfort. And I do the same thing. Christ never made one thing about His comfort. And God says, I'm making you like Him. That's what He's doing. That is, your, that is God's will for your life. To make you like Christ. So when you read verses 28, you start thinking about all the things that work out for my good. Wait a minute. He's making me like Christ. Now, is that what I'm pursuing? We're about to run out of time, but I need to cover one more thing here. This sanctification process that we said, remember we said it was a joint venture. That means it requires work on your part and my part. Now, one of the key things in understanding or living out the sanctification process is your pursuit of, of the means of grace. Now, why do I say that? They are critical to the heart of sanctification in that process. Because what is critical here in making you like Christ is understanding what grace is. If I could say that was the most one of the most critical things in your life as a believer in this process, is in your deepening and your understanding of what grace is. What God's grace is. That is critical to your sanctification, to that peace where you are co laborers with Him. How do we get grace? Well, you're here today, so you're at one place to get grace. We get grace through prayer. Pray often. We get grace by prayer. The preaching and the teaching of the Word. God gives grace when His Word is lifted high and it is preached and it is taught and it is explained before the people. God gives you grace when you hear that. 
the fellowship of the saints, getting together with the body. We've said this in here before. This is where we get grace. The community of the fellowship of believers as a place you get grace. And the other means of grace is the sacraments. A wonderful reminder of God's grace. Again, these are critical. We cannot ignore the means of grace. We cannot ignore them. And then wonder why our life is, is, is not flourishing. We wonder why... Why, God, why are you not? Why is you know? Why are things not getting better here? You know, why? Why do I not know you better? Why? Why do I still struggle with these things? Okay, it's back. You gotta. You gotta ask you. Are are you putting yourself? Are you putting yourself under the means of grace? Or is it really easy on Sunday morning to say, you know what? I just am not going to go today. I'm going to stay home. What are you doing? You're denying yourself grace. So, I wish we had some more time, but when you think about the parable of the sower, what's your role in this endeavor? Sowing seed. Right? That's your role. You are to sow seed. Where? Everywhere. Everywhere. Because it is the Holy Spirit who's doing the work. The real work. He makes the good soul good. Let's pray together. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank You for our time together. Father, we pray that You would help us to have a deeper understanding of grace. Father, we thank You for our time together. Father, we pray that during our worship this morning that Your Word will go forth in power and truth. We pray for our pastor, Shane, as he brings a message. Father, we pray that Your Word will be lifted high today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.